0: Hello and welcome to Safe Travels. I'm your host, Damian. Safe Travels podcast is about finding expert advice so you can enjoy worry-free travel. Today's kind of a broad topic. It's about assessing overall risk when traveling. I'll be speaking with Kay Campbell. He goes by KC. KC is a military intelligence veteran and currently a senior security and intelligence consultant at a company called Blue Glacier Security. He has experience and training in intelligence, risk, threat, and vulnerability assessments, executive protection, counterterrorism, business continuity. Even though a background like that seems like it's overdoing it a bit for leisure travel, I do think he brings some useful perspective on what's going on right now. He has some specific tips about government warnings and registering your travels with the government to stay safe. Thanks in advance for your patience on the sound quality. At times it's perfect, and then at other times there are some small issues. Show notes will be available. You can visit our Twitter feed at safe travels FM to find links to all of that. So please enjoy this short conversation with Kay Campbell, Casey. Casey, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Great to be here.
0: If you can, just give people a little overview of who you are, what you do, and your area of expertise.
1: Sure. I'm a security risk management and intelligence consultant. So I look at all risks that can affect both folks at the individual level and at the corporate level. And in terms of the intelligence, I basically look at various threats and risks and help organizations analyze those risks and collect information on those
0: risks to their organization. What's your typical client? So my typical
1: client ranges from individual families, usually high net worth or ultra high net worth folks, to various organizations, uh, the entertainment industry, nonprofits. When I started doing this, I wouldn't expect nonprofits to have been part of my client base, but they are both national. and and local nonprofits and various type of corporations, especially those that have an international footprint.
0: And can you just talk a little bit about your background and how you got started in this line of work?
1: So I was a military intelligence officer for a while. That's how I first dipped my toe in the intelligence field. And part of that was doing uh, protective intelligence, right? So if you had anyone from your boss, a colonel or general traveling for business to an ally or a partner nation, or even a bigger footprint, if part of your unit was deploying somewhere, for example, One of my deployments was to Iraq. So there's a lot of protective intelligence that's involved with that. Not only in terms of the hard stuff, the tangible stuff, things that can hurt you like roadside bombs, but also there's a big medical intelligence part of it that even within the intelligence field, a lot of people always forget to look at. So my responsibilities involve a lot of protective intelligence work and some other things. Basically, what we try to do is what we got paid to do on behalf of the government was steal secrets from people who don't want those secrets revealed, right? Whether it be nation states or terrorist networks. So the intelligence field is a broad field. And those are a couple of things I dealt with.
0: I'm glad that you reached out because I was looking for people to provide insight into citizens booking travel, trying to be smart as far as COVID-19, different considerations to have. So I think you'll bring a, a unique aspect to that. From your standpoint, what are some considerations that travelers should make when they're looking towards booking some sort of travel for later this year or for after coronavirus?
1: So there are a few factors. And one is, you know, look at the information that's out there, easily searchable. The big thing The first thing is what's the coronavirus risk at your desired destination, right? So Johns Hopkins, which is my alma mater, that's where my master's from, they have a great website that's been used, that even news organizations are using it, and they break down the coronavirus case and that's for every country in the world. So that's the first place I'd look. If you want to go to Malaysia, for example, before you even book your flight, spend any money on tickets, Take a look at what the caseload, what the number of cases and number of deaths in Malaysia as an example. So that that's the first thing I would do. And also see how well they're handling coronavirus disease. So local national news sources are really good for that. So especially the reputable ones that are known to have a robust foreign reporting capability. So BBC, DW News, that's a news organization in Germany, AP. Those news organizations sometimes report on countries that You never see covered on the major news networks so those are the first two things i would do look at the current risk and also the the ground truth based on uh, news reporting
0: and as far as personal precautions, let's say if you're going on the trip, once you have something planned, you've done some of the research that you were just talking about. Once the trip is underway, are there things that you can recommend for people to do?
1: Sure. And, and before I go there, there's one thing I always find necessary mention because that's something I do out of habit. But part of that intelligence research, if you will, is looking at the government recommendations and travel notices for each country. So you know, CDC, they do a really good job of issuing travel travel notices, and they have three different levels. And you'll see when you go to the website, it's not all about coronavirus disease. There are other factors too. Like uh, right now in Japan, rubella is an issue and has been for the last year or two. So the government websites like CDC, the State Department, and also the British FCO, and this is something not even a lot of security folks know, but the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office FCO, they're really good at laying out the risk and things that you should pay attention to. To in each country. But onto Mm. once a flight is booked. So in terms of things that you can control, try to get travel insurance when necessary. Now, travel insurance is not, you know, if you read the fine print, they're pretty strict in what they will refund. But take a look at that and make a conscious decision whether you're going to buy it or not. And also do the same with your plane ticket. So I would try Mm. to book an airline that's pretty reasonable in terms of its uh, refund and reissue policy credit policy. Some airlines might not refund you, but they'll give you credit so you could use it. You could basically reschedule your trip. So those are things, some things that I would do. I would not book a trip for the rest of the year unless mm-hmm. you know I had some kind of travel insurance or pretty liberal refund or rescheduling policies through the airline.
0: Back just a minute to the State Department, some of the different organizations that issue advisories. You mentioned there's a few different levels. Would you be waiting until those levels are given a green light all clear or more of a yellow light? Can you describe those levels and, and where you would find that comfort zone?
1: Sure, so there are different number levels for, for each agency. So the CDC has three. So they range from basically level one, which is you know exercise your usual precautions. You, know, you could go, probably wouldn't be an issue, but just be aware. And level three is the worst. So for lack of a better term. And that's basically avoid non-essential travel, is the exact word that the CDC uses. Right now, I would not recommend, I would not travel anywhere for which the CDC has issued a warning level three, avoid non-essential travel. Right now, there are three main ones. For coronavirus, for example, cruise ship travel is one of those three. So the CDC has basically said: hey, we recommend you do not travel or non-essential travel on cruise ships, right? So those level three warns, I just would not bother with that. Uh, Level two, maybe, but even then you got to be careful. So for example, right now, level two includes uh, yellow fever in Nigeria, right? So again, that's outside, it's not coronavirus, but yellow fever, not fun either. And usually you could mitigate against some of the level two stuff for you know, CDC level two stuff, which is practice enhanced precautions. So for Nigeria, CDC simply recommends get vaccination. In terms of state department, state department has four different levels. And this was recently revamped just a couple of years ago. With the state department level four, that's the highest basically state department saying, we highly recommend you do not travel this to these countries. So for level three, level four, I would not go right in terms of state department levels. The the yellows, the green yellow zone, it's, it's what you want to aim for. And the same applies if you're traveling for business too. If, if your company really needs to send you somewhere, or just thinking about sending you somewhere, and it's at the highest level of the CDC or State Department travel advisory, you should have a really good reason for putting yourself at risk.
0: And with some of the different levels, is it fairly common for them to be at that level? You know, just above everything's all clear and below some of the higher warnings. Do a lot of countries sit at that level? I don't want to say indefinitely, but more commonly? <laughs>
1: Not a lot, but it does happen. So I I like the Rubella in Japan level two warning as a good example. I gave a presentation at Global Security Exchange last year about security risks to the Olympics, right? And then security risk, again, when you think about risk management, you got to look beyond the, the big, scary stuff like terrorists, right? There's a lot more stuff out there. In fact, I didn't even mention terrorism in my brief. And rubella was one I actually mentioned. This is way before coronavirus was a thing, even even existed. And so that has existed for a while. That CDC warrant has existed for rubella for, I think it was maybe early 20. 20- 19 sometime 2018 but it's not the first time it has occurred an outbreak has happened in japan and there are some there are certain issues why it's not just japan there are a few other countries there too but japan is the host for the next olympics so what you'll find is our countries will pop in and out of level two for various reasons, depending on the level of outbreak. What I suspect will happen is rubella won't be an issue by the rescheduled Olympic Games by next year. So you will see that most likely fall off.
0: And overall, do you have an opinion about the level of these different advisories and the precautions that the United States are taking? Do you have an opinion about that level?
1: In terms of the level assigned to them, the assessment for for these
0: Yes, both the advisories and then I guess just the actions of the country right now.
1: I think travelers, whether for personal travel or for business travel, would be remiss not to look at these travel advisories by the government. Folks have to realize their politics are 99.99% of the time is not involved in these travel notices, right? So these are folks in the government doing this full time. Same with other countries too. I mentioned the UK, for example, it's foreign and Commonwealth office advisories. And, you know, a lot of these countries, we have folks on. The ground in the embassy who have sources for this information. So these travel advisories by the government are pretty reliable. And it's one thing, you know, as a security consultant, you know, as I'm looking at a specific country for a client or potential client, I'm noticing things that are confirmed by these travel advisories. So I I find them very reliable. I would not take these travel advisories lightly. So if CDC is saying, you might not want to go on cruise ships right now, it's in your best interest not to.
0: I'd like to just move away from coronavirus. Can you provide just some essential tips in general for for travelers? Sure.
1: So you know, think big picture. Think in terms of the likelihood of a threat and also the consequences. Right. So I find that if you think about travel the way a risk professional, a risk manager would, I think that would be helpful. Uh, and there are two separate things. So sure, if you travel to a foreign country, is there a chance that there will be a massive earthquake and or volcano and tsunami and all that, it's possible. And the consequences or impact would be huge. You might die, right? The likelihood of that happening is very low. Right. So it's not something you should worry about. Right. What what you want to look at is how likely is something gonna happen and the consequences. And I think when you combine those two things, that could help anyone regardless of where you want to go. So for example, if the State Department is saying level four, don't travel here because of X, there's a reason it's saying that. And it's saying that, hey, it's likely that you might need you that you might be kidnapped because of, for whatever reason, terrorism or or criminal threat. And then the impact of that is huge. And then, you know, your family might end up wanting to pay or having to pay a huge ransom to, to get you returned safely. So when you think of risk and those two factors, the likelihood and the impact, that helps with your decisions. So, for example, uh, hurricane season is coming up and starts... June 1st and goes until November. So if you're traveling the Caribbean between June and November, you should be aware that there's a good chance that, especially this hurricane season, that a hurricane, you know, four to six hurricanes are gonna occur, right? Or potentially according to our weather forecasters this season, which is a little higher than average. The impact might not be that great because you usually have a period of time in terms of you know hurricane warnings and so forth so go ahead do your trip to Caribbean plan that um, assuming that the coronavirus risks are low but you need to be watching the weather forecast constantly to make sure okay a hurricane or potential hurricane hasn't just popped up so those are those are the big things is to you know learn how to look at risk and don't think everything bad will happen therefore I can never go on vacation no you got you got to look at each situation. Some personal precautions, whether or not you're worried about coronavirus, you know, pack sanitizers, gloves, masks, you'll need them, especially the sanitizers. These are things that you could do at the, at the individual, at the personal level.
0: I'm sure you also see people making mistakes as travelers. Are there common ones that you see that you- Yeah,
1: sure. So not doing the basic research on where they're going. I see complacency a lot, especially in business travelers who who are constantly going every few months to a location. So there was folks I was potentially helping out with a project. I won't say what country, but it was a country in Africa. And I mentioned, hey, your security budget for this project, it's much lower than it should be. I recommend increasing that Here are the specific reasons why. And unfortunately, they had a a level of complacency where they basically said, look, we go there all the time. It's fine. Well, it turns out for that country, they specifically target the folks who fit in the demographic that these project managers did, right? Like down to a T, they fit that vulnerable group. So complacency is a big thing. I see there was unclassified information on this country. It basically said, here are the people they target. And they do it a lot, especially in these areas in the country. Another mistake I see people make is not registering with their embassies. And not all countries do this, but the U.S. does. Their, the State Department has a program called STEP. Basically, you go in and you register. You basically tell the State Department, hey, I'm going to this country. Here are my dates of travel. And that's important for two reasons. One, it allows you to receive updates from the State Department if something were to happen. So I've been in a situation where i was overseas and it was italy and i was there for several months and at one point earthquake happened and within i think within half an hour an hour of the earthquake i got it you know it didn't affect us directly and within 36 minutes i got an email from the state department saying here's what happened here you the impacts and so forth so you get updates from the state department directly Two is if there's a need to evacuate, provide assistance, the State Department wants to find you. When people don't register for their trips, that makes it almost impossible, right? And I dealt with that directly after the 2011 earthquake and tsunami and nuclear meltdown in Japan, where at the time we didn't know how bad it was, how bad it could be. So we were planning the evacuation of about 90,000 U.S. citizens and other what the State Department Called designated foreign nationals. So it was a joint State Department, U.S. Marine Corps evacuation plan and effort, and we could not locate all the Americans. Luckily, we didn't need to do that massive evacuation. But if we did, it would have been very hard to find all the Americans that we should have to let them know what they would need to do because they hadn't registered with the State Department. So those are the two biggest things I see mistakes people make is complacency and also not registering with the State Department when they go overseas.
0: The registration with the State Department, it seems like such an easy thing to do with such large benefits to it. So that's a great piece of advice. Are there any myths or misconceptions that you hear a lot of with travelers that you can help debunk?
1: So a lot of it has to do with, it's a result of people not thinking in terms of risk, correctly. remember the whole thing in terms of the likelihood of something happening, the consequences of happening. So, you know, there are many Mm. countries where people think that the entire country is just a massive mayhem and you step, you leave the airport, You'll die, right? So Mexico is a good example where there are many parts of Mexico I would never go to. Even if I was on a protective detail, doing an executive protection gig, whether it's protecting an entertainer or a high net worth individual or CEO. There are certain parts of Mexico's I would not go to. There are other parts of Mexico that or pretty safe right so a lot of times there are myths surrounding the country based on what you hear in the news and that applies to the whole country No, some parts are different so that's why the state department travel advisories they'll drill down to specific regions that you should exercise caution and or should avoid so thinking too broadly of risks and thinking just everything's scary and in some countries You'll die, you know, if you go or you have a high, you know, anywhere in the country. I, I think that's one of the big myths I see a lot, and it's it's country specific. The other myth that I often see is that, oh, if something were to happen to me overseas, the U.S. government's going to send in State Department and Navy SEALs and Delta Force and going to rescue me. Therefore, it's okay for me to X. It's not that simple, you know. If the State Department tells you uh, a level four we recommend do not travel this country and you go travel to this country for humanitarian work or for whatever reason research there are some things the us government can't do right there are some capabilities that we just don't that the us government just doesn't have and it will take it might take weeks months years if at all <laughs> that you know the us government can try you know get you released so that's another myth that depends on the politics involved policies involved those are two separate things and just the capabilities of the of the government that might limit your return to
0: safety. So in that case, in your second example there, is there any solution to that? you know, versus relying on the government? Sure. Is there anything so, else that people can do?
1: Unfortunately, the best solutions are somewhat reserved for corporate entities and non-profits simply because of the cost involved, right? So, of course, you have the means, you're on the wealthy side of things, you have the means to do it. But there are several companies out there, the company for whom I work is not one, but there are some companies out there that offer evacuation capabilities and so forth, the rescue capabilities, there, there are some companies out there that will, for pretty steep price, I might add, will go in, there'll be a plane waiting for you and to get you out of the country, right? So unfortunately, again, those things are limited to, to the corporate or a non-profit arenas where these organizations have the money to, to spend. If you're a private citizen, unless you're pretty wealthy and it's a CDC alert level three and, a, and the state department travel notice level three or four, which are the highest, your your options are limited. So travel at your own
0: risk. Well, I know on the evacuation front, there are some private companies that offer memberships, Medifac, things like that. Do you have any experience with that? I or do that?
1: a little bit. So before you get to that point, you know there are many companies company for whom I work we offer travel risk assessments right so we did one for French Guadeloupe in the Caribbean for a client so not too expensive although I think most travelers probably outside the reach of most travelers but it depends on the location some some countries will cost more than others so that's the first level get a travel risk assessment done will be very helpful for you and it details a lot of stuff that you might not be able to find that you would not be able to find if you just do a Google search. And then when you step up, that's the Medivac services and a lot of times these work on a almost a retainer level kind of thing, so you pay monthly or yearly for these services. They also these companies also track your employees using various technologies. So if you travel say France, they'll be able to tell you, hey, by the way, there's a protest. Sometimes that can that might interfere with your business trip, right? So there there are certain tracking services that that are available to folks before you get to the point of a medevac or evacuation situation.
0: That's very helpful, Casey. Just to finish up, is there some sort of Big idea piece of advice that you can provide for travelers if they want to try to reduce their worries. Sure. And...
1: The big thing is educate yourself on risks. Take what's called an all-hazards approach. That's it. Just educate yourself. So we as humans, we tend to there's something called availability bias, right? So we focus for a while on just the latest, baddest, scariest thing, right? Which right now is coronavirus. And and you should focus on that. But on top of coronavirus, there are so many other things out there that you should be aware of. Again, don't scare yourself. Just be aware. That's the biggest thing. Educate yourself before you travel. So think about natural hazards for us, right? If you travel to Asia, know that's very disaster prone. So big thing, educate yourself. Put the knowledge in your own hands. The information is out there.
0: Just Just go get it. That's great advice. Thank you very much. Casey, where can people find you online?
1: LinkedIn is a great place to find me, and you'll see some of my uh, publications there too. And then the company for whom I work, Blue Glacier Security Intelligence.
0: That's great. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation today. Remember, there will be show notes and links. You can find links to show notes from our Twitter page. Our Twitter handle is Safe Travels FM. I have a small favor to ask. This is a new show, and so far feedback has been great, but we could use a good boost. There are a lot of ways that you can help. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast player app. You can rate us on the Apple Podcast app. You can share it with friends. You can share it to social media. All of these things would help. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. Safe travels.